With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And welcome back to From Complex to Queens, amazing head news minor league podcast. I'm Steve Seifer, and I'm joined by Ken Lavin and Thomas Henderson. How are you guys doing today? Good, good. Good. How are you? All right. So, for Promote Extend Trade this week, on this date in 1693, the Salem Witch Trials began. Three people were found uh, guilty of practicing black magic. Uh, witchcraft, and then obviously that ballooned. And practicing big uh, uh, black magic is a big no-no in uh, Christianity, especially especially puritanical Christianity, because it is ungodly. So, of these ungodly pitches, who are we going to promote, extend, and trade here? First, we have peak Sandy Koufax's curveball. Peak Randy Johnson's slider and peak R.A. Dickey's knuckleball. I'm going to extend the knuckleball because that's extremely my shit. Uh, promote the curveball and I'm not as big a fan of sliders, just generally speaking. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I think I agree. I almost want to switch the curveball and the slider, but I'm definitely extending the knuckleball just because it's a knuckleball. It's the knuckleball, yes. 
Yep, I went the same way because reasons already stated. All right, so um, we're going to have the first of a recurring segment from now until June or so when the MLB draft takes place where we're just going to see how the guys that we like are doing. So I picked CJ Van Eyck. And it's only been a couple of games. Obviously, the season has started uh, a few weeks ago, not even a month yet. And right now, he has a 1-2-3 ERA in 14.2 innings with 8 hits allowed, 10 walks, and 19 strikeouts. Ken, you had Heston Kierstad. He is currently slashing 421, 500, 895 in 38 at-bats with three doubles, five homers, five walks, and six strikeouts. And, Thomas, you had Peter Crow Armstrong, and the season for California high schools has started. They're about six games in, but his school hasn't reported any numbers anywhere. So let's That's assume that he's – yeah, let's, let's assume he's doing really good because why not? I mean, that's a safe assumption. Mm. So right now, looking at the two guys that we can look at, um, Van Eyck, the walks are a little scary. Ten walks in 14.2 innings. Not he great. did walk in a run on, a, on Friday. It's not what you want to see. Not what you want to see. The strikeouts are good, obviously, 19. And then with Kierstead, I mean, really, there's nothing... <laughs> flawed in that line at all. He's really good. <laughs> yeah. I was I was kind of surprised. Um, I'm, I watched uh, a little bit of Van Eyck earlier, and I, I was very surprised. He's he's got excellent stuff. Um, I'm not sure why that was surprising to me, given everything I know about him. But <laughs> he's he spins a really nice curveball. Well, uh, again, it's hard to say now, but stock up or stock down, do you guys say, for Van Eyck? Are these current numbers going to make him more or less likely to still be available at 19? What do you say, Ken? Mm, I'll say push. (laughs) I think that's kind of where it didn't, you know, like the the flaws in the profile, the the command, you know, was there. (laughs) Um, and also everything that's exciting about him was there. Like he's got tremendous stuff and it works. I think but, the walks could put him to could keep him in the Mets range. Like that's the one thing that I could see teams being a little afraid of. He's like a, a very good value. I feel like at twenty. Yes. At twenty, like ten walks and fourteen innings. Obviously, that's going to be different when they draft. But like at twenty, I'd take that easily. Yeah, especially when it's accompanied by, like, big, big-time stuff. Yeah. You could figure it out at 20, but maybe if you like someone equally a little higher who you feel like has a bit more of a – is a little safer, I could see them. I could see that being a reason for him dropping. Like we said last week, when a team drafts a guy at this level, there's going to be some obvious or not-so-obvious – flaws and the whole point of a developmental system is to you know make those flaws go away so 
a guy can have kind of shaky commands or bad mechanics that screw around with release point, whatever. And the job of the team is to fix that. So, uh, looking at Kirstead now, has his performance made him more or less likely to be uh, around at 20? Uh, I'm not sure how meaningful it is because um, – how should I put this? I mean, Cameron Meisner had a really good week, first like week and a half of, of last season and then struggled once SEC, you know, mm-hmm. conference play started. And his stock went initially up and then kind of plummeted. Not plummeted. He was still like a top 30 pick, but uh, you know what I mean. Yes, he so, pulled off significantly. Probably, probably up for now, although it might not be the most meaningful when all is said and done, I guess. Yeah, I agree with that. I still think there's 0% chance he ends up on the board when the Mets pick at 20. Yeah, most pretty most likely not. <laughs> Van Eyck is a very dicey one, too. So. I really could see him developing into a very good pitcher, though. Yeah. All he needs is to go on a run in April, May, and big-time, big-time stuff. He'll shoot up the board if he does. Mm-hmm. And Peter Armstrong. If he never plays, he's... he'll be there at 20. Yeah, that's a good point. If the season never starts, then he'll play. I mean, he'll be there at 20, so. Got to get on... Uh... His coach start putting those numbers in. Playing four-dimensional chess to get him to fall. <laughs> we'll see who, what team, what what major league team is closest affiliated with the school. What uh, <laughs> go through go through the coach's Facebook, see who he's friends with. Maybe we can figure out some sort of there. Is, there's some connections. Is he perhaps a CAA client? Like then, <laughs> then the Mets have that leg up from everyone else. So. It's all about that stuff. It's the little things. Yes, it is. All right. So um, last week, obviously, the podcast was mainly about guys that the Mets could get. This week, we're going to change things around a little. We're going to stay focused on the draft, um, but we're going to look at not guys that the Mets might get, but we're going to look at guys that the Mets could have had. Um, We're just going to go back uh, a few years, three years, to 2017, and the Mets, like all teams, selected a bunch of high school kids, some of whom signed with the team, and some of whom decided not to sign, and they went off to college. So I'm just going to take a look at now some of the guys that the Mets drafted and were not able to sign who then went off to college. First guy up is AJ Labus, who's a right-handed pitcher who was drafted in the 17th round of the 2017 draft, which is 517th overall. And the Mets were not able to sign him and he went to LSU. So his first year there, which was 2018, he posted a 348 ERA in 54 and one-third of an inning with seven walks and 32 strikeouts. Not bad. 
Um, he was a bit hittable. He allowed 54 hits in those 54 innings, but, you know, pretty good for a freshman. The following year, last season, 2019, he didn't play at all because of a shoulder injury. And then obviously this year, you know, the year just started, so we're not really going to get into those stats too much. So are either one of you guys, uh, yeah, he's a, he's a pretty solid pitcher. He was highly thought of at the time. Um, it was just a, a hard sign based on his school and, you know, the talent and the amount of money that it would have taken to get him. So it was probably not going to happen to begin with, but are you guys, uh, shedding any tears that Labos wasn't signed? I mean, he would obviously help the system now, but. He's not an extraordinary talent per se. The, the shoulder injury scares me off a little bit for that. Just yep. because you don't know what he like. You don't know how he's going to come back from that, and it's. it's a, I think it's safe to assume that the shoulder would have also gotten hurt if he signed and didn't go to college. It, it definitely would have been a lot worse <laughs> if you he know. had signed and was with the Mets. Yeah, the Mets would have been like, "Nah, you're fine." Go, go out there, kid. But um, do you really need a shoulder to pitch? Eh, what's a shoulder really? But yeah. All right. Next up is the aforementioned CJ Van Eyck. Um, we talked about him at length last week, and we gave an update today, so we'll just kind of skip over him. Next player is Ian McWilliams. He was a right-handed pitcher. He was signed in the 30th round of the 2017 draft, 907th overall. He didn't sign, and he went to the University of Alabama at Binghamton. In 2018, his first year, he appeared in exactly one game. He got one out while allowing three earned runs, which is good for an 81 ERA. Not good. His second year there, in 2019, he appeared in four games, and he pitched a total of 2.1 innings, and he allowed six runs this time, which is good for a 23.14 ERA. Um, McWilliams wasn't a premier talent or anything like that, and obviously the numbers bear that out. And this season, he is not on the baseball roster for the University of Alabama at Birmingham. So, I guess it's safe to say that the Mets did not really lose out on anything here. Yeah. Fair. Hard to argue. All right. Next up is another player who um, is a pretty premier talent, is Jake Edder. He's a left-handed pitcher. He was selected in the 34th round of the draft in 2017, which is the 1,027th overall. And he was not signed for the obvious reasons of being a very talented kid and having a commitment to Vanderbilt. So, you know, he was, he is one of those late round, you just make the selection because who knows picks and obviously, you know, who knows never happened. But in his first year, um, sorry, there's also the element of like picking him so that, you know, nobody else can pick him and persuade, you know. Right. I mean, you know, at that point, like when you're in the 34th round, it's like 
wine rep. Yeah. So in his first year at Vandy, he uh, started nine games and it appeared in 11 total. And he had a 5.45 ERA in 33 innings. He allowed 25 hits. He walked 22 and he struck out 37. Not exactly the kind of season that you would think someone as talented as him would have, especially with the uh, all of the runs allowed and quite a few hits. But the strikeouts are good, and obviously walks are bad, and and. Just a lot of guys on base translates into a lot of runs, as we see. And then his sophomore year, last season, 2019, he started 17 games and threw a total of 34 and one-half inning. Excuse me, one-third of an inning. And he posted a 2.88 ERA, which is considerably better. He allowed 23 hits, he walked 15, and he struck out 37 again. So he's still getting the strikeouts. He cut back on the walks, which is the main thing. And this year, you know, Vanderbilt is one of the best baseball schools, pretty much always, but again, this year. And he is uh, a pretty key part of their rotation. So if the Mets somehow were able to pull off signing Edder, that would have been... It would have been similar to the to the Allen signing last year in terms yeah. of like a surprise talent suddenly, you know, infusing the system. It would have been a huge help. Yep. Where would where do you think he would be on the top prospect uh list? Like who do you think he's better than at this point in time? Um I'm assuming that he would have similar yeah, numbers. more or less the same talent level, I guess. I think he would probably be... Like right around Peterson, maybe? Yeah. Um, maybe a little I would, higher. I would say he'd be a little higher. I think he might even be... I, I would say he would could possibly be our three, where we have Allen... I could see kind of Edder ahead of him because of the left-handedness. You know, it's always going to be a bias. <laughs> and he's got pretty good stuff. Yeah, the stuff is very good. Like, um, I don't know. Seems of the uh, the stuff lefties that are available, you know, in the late first round every year. I like his stuff a little better than you know the average. Yeah, it's you could see a little more of a ceiling. There. Yeah, Edo wasn't necessarily a in, in the category of like best high school pitcher in you know in the draft or or best high school left-handed pitcher in the draft. So he wasn't one of those premier talent guys, um, but maybe a tier down, two tiers down, maybe. Whereas Allen, you could make the case, was the best high school pitcher, right-hander. Yeah, it would it would be really nice if he was in the Mets system, but, you know, oh well. There is a possibility that they draft him at some point. He checks and, a lot of their boxes. Yeah. <laughs> Which is probably why they took him in yeah. the first place. Mm-hmm. We'll see. 
and last uh, high schooler that they selected in the 2017 draft is Daniel Alfonso, a third baseman who was drafted in the 38th round, um, which is 1,147 overall. And he did not sign with the Mets, and he initially went to Adelphi. And he didn't play, weirdly. Um, I could not find anything about an injury or anything like that. And in the 2019 season last year, he transferred to Monroe. Was it because he didn't get any playing time at Adelphi? Who knows? Not really sure. But in 44 games at Monroe last season, he hit 338, 473, 633, with 12 doubles, one triple, and nine homers. Um, he struck out 37 times. He walked 27 times, so it's a good almost one-to-one ratio. And he, he, he stole two bases for good measure. And Daniel Alfonso looks a lot like his dad in that he is kind of uh, round. So him stealing two bases would have been pretty good. And if the Mets had been able to sign him, that would have been really good, too. Because yeah. he he does seem pretty legit. And the fact that he goes to such a secondary school, it's kind of weird to me. I mean, he had the numbers in high school. Obviously, he has the, the bloodline. You know, Edgar Alfonso was a, an all-star a couple of times. He had a pretty successful major league career. And it's just a little weird that, you know, Alfonso never really got much attention, you know, among the colleges and that he goes to such a kind of low-key school. And going to Adelphi and not playing is also... Yeah, I mean, I don't know what this... Uh, and other other players that did not play, I was able to find mentions of injury, things like that. But with him, just he just didn't play, which is... I don't know. Yeah, that's weird. But it would be nice to have another bat in the... Just... Like, for the most part, I'm going to be like, it'd be nice to have these guys because I'd rather... Yeah, it would the, be nice. <laughs> I'd, I'd rather have the lottery tickets than not, but unless the dude, like is hurt like I said before but yeah I mean he hit in college which at the 38th round I would have he would probably would have hit in the lower minors too so yeah I mean if he if he put up a 338 473 633 line in Kingsport he would basically that, that's basically we'd all be uh, talking you know, about him yeah we'd be like we'd be <laughs> hyping him up constantly. that would have been the most homers on the team that would have led the team in batting average I'm pretty sure old old triple slash uh, components yeah. would have led, so he would definitely have been in the top five if he was putting up those kinds of numbers in the system. Oh, for sure. So yeah, overall, uh, 2017 I would say was pretty good. They they targeted some guys that have developed, you know, pretty well and are are pretty good uh, premium talent guys. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. 
Listen to the deal. Listen to the deal on Spotify. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry. Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over a hundred casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Now we'll move on to the 2018 draft. And the first guy that they selected is a right-handed pitcher by the name of Mike Piccolo. And he was selected in the 33rd round, 980th overall. And he he's the son of a former Kansas City GM. So there was not an athletic bloodline there, but obviously, you know, you know guys when your dad is the GM. Um, he didn't sign, and he went to UMC Wilmington, and he didn't play in 2019 last season because of an injury. And he is playing. He got into his first game this year, his first professional, his first collegiate game this year. So he was never a guy that was um, a premium talent. Um, he's pretty rough around the edges. So... You know, other than the fact, other than the fact that his dad is who he is, he would be a pretty unremarkable and kind of forgettable pitcher if he was anyone else. So him not signing, it's very much whatever. Yeah. Next guy up is another right-handed pitcher who was selected a few rounds after Piccolo, and that is Ian Mejia. And he was selected in the 35th round, which was 1,040th overall. And he was a guy that had a lot of talent. Um, he committed to the University of Arizona, and he didn't play at all because of an injury. And this year, he transferred um, to P- yeah, excuse me, he transferred to Pima Community College, and he will be getting into games this year, but. He's a guy that, if they signed, I think it would have been another big coup. Um, I don't think that he's a premium talent like a guy like Eder or, or a guy like Van Eyck. But he would definitely be... Would have definitely been a boon to the system. I mean, he, he would be, again, a guy that would be in the very low minors right now. And the Mets have a few guys in low minors that are kind of talented promising pitchers and he would have fit in nicely yeah it sucks that he got hurt obviously it sucks that all of them got hurt but like yeah and that he had to transfer and at least he hopefully he could rebuild his value at the community college where he should like just dominate I'm pretty sure that he's eligible to be drafted this year because he's a yeah. sophomore in a community college. So that looks like his that looks like his uh strategy, I guess. Which makes sense. Yeah. Put up some gaudy numbers at a small at a smaller school and then use that to get a higher draft slot than one thousand fortieth overall or whatever. Yeah, one thousand fortieth <laughs> overall. You know? Should be doable. And then if not, you could probably transfer again. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I feel like college baseball is full of guys like that who pitch for like three different teams. That makes sense. If three different do. leagues. If you're baseball not... was really full of yeah. guys like that. That's true. If you're not at one of the big schools, you might as well try to find your best place to get yourself the best situation. Yep. All right, next guy that they drafted is a shortstop that they drafted in 38th round, uh, which is 1,130th overall, and that is Nick Zona. And he didn't sign, and he went to James Madison University instead. And in 30 games there last season, he hit... 337, 387, 388, with five doubles. Um, he struck out 20 times, walked six times, so it's a little, little too many walk, uh, excuse me, a little too many strikeouts for a guy, especially without much power like him. But he did steal nine out of 13 stolen bases, so that's pretty good. And he's returning there this season, and, you know, Dude has to add a little power to his game, but other than that, those are pretty solid numbers. I appreciate him just not caring at all about walking. <laughs> but yeah, it's an interesting set, uh, flash line. <clears throat> Zona wasn't really uh, considered a, a top guy or anything like that, so the Mets didn't I wouldn't say the Mets haven't missed out on anything from him not signing. Yeah, I mean, maybe they could get him a little stronger with, like, professional training in that regard, but, I mean, he should do that also in college, too. He should be able to do that. If that's yeah, yeah. It's not like it's he can't do it at all at the college level. People do it. So. And the final guy that they drafted that year... Uh, very next round, right after Zona, was Cody Darcy, another shortstop, and he was selected 1,160th overall, and he went to Xavier University. And the 33 games, he hit 170, 284, 273, with three doubles, two homers, 10 walks, 38 strikeouts, and one stolen base for good measure. So... Darcy was swinging for the fences, a lot of strikeouts, not too much power. Not what you really want to see. Yeah. It's a rough season. Same thing with Zona, and the two of them were kind of, I'm not going to say carbon copies of each other, but they're very similar players and profiles and in terms of being, you know, fairly polished gloves and decent bats, and it's kind of the exact opposite in terms of the results here with the bats, you know, Zona had a pretty, you know, pretty solid season, um, but Darcy just did not. It's like the the ceiling floor version of the player. Almost. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. So that was the 2018 draft, um, but really, outside of me here, the Mets didn't not, you know, I would say they didn't miss out on anybody. No, I agree. All right. Now we're going to head back to last year, 2019 draft, and we'll just kind of 
go over who the Mets selected and, you know, where, where they went. Um, again, since the season didn't, has barely started, I'm not going to look at the numbers. Um, and since these are all freshmen, you know, there's no track record or anything like that, but there, there are some pretty interesting names. Um, first up was the guy that they drafted in the 24th round, 718th overall, a lefted, left-handed pitcher, Hunter Barco. And he was a guy that was, you know, very good, uh, very good player, a premier talent, and was one of the signings, I mean, excuse me, was one of those guys that just fell because there was no way that he was going to sign. Uh, he went to the University of Florida, obviously a very good baseball program. He's a very good talent, match made in heaven. If the Mets are somehow able to, I, I feel that Barco was kind of a, a failsafe, a safeguard, whatever you want to call it. In, in I case like to that, call him Allen Insurance. Yes, yeah. thank you. That's a good one. That's funny. That's true, though. Yep. That's probably what he was. And and, and he was a. Ideas. Oh yeah. And he's a guy that can, can, could have conceivably been, you know, drafted with the first round. Well, excuse me, not the first selection, but a, a selection in the first round, you know, selection roughly, second round. I would say know, not, late first, early second, probably. Not right. all that different from, um, Josh Wolf in any respect. Right. There you go. In terms of stuff, you know, the stuff is really good. That's why he was considered so good. Would you prefer Hunter Barco or Matthew Allen? Allen. Yeah. Agreed. I think Allen's more polished. Barco, um, so I, I have an affinity for curveballs over sliders, and, and Barco is right now pretty much a fastball slider guy. Um. Yeah, I, I also think Allen has a little more of a third pitch. Yeah. Yes, he definitely. I mean, Allen's um, changeup is pretty good when it when it's you know one of it's one of those things he doesn't throw too often, but the handful that I've seen that he he did. Yeah, were, it's a pretty, pretty good offering. Yeah. And. Um, I watched a little bit of Barco's first start for Florida, and so far, I don't know if I just missed it, but um, I, I don't think he's throwing much of a changeup yet. It's mostly like a slider in the low 80s that's um, pretty sweepy, but, you know, still a slider, and uh, fastball, like, mid to low 90s, which is good. Very good high school pitcher. And like, he'll yeah. probably probably go pretty highly when he's draft eligible again. But, but give me Allen if you had to. Yeah. yeah, I'm much more confident in Allen being a starter long term than Barco at this point in time, at least. Would you prefer Hunter Barco or Joshua both? Probably Barco. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I just think. Um, yeah, just because of the mechanics and. Um, Barco also has some relief risk, 
but Wolf has a really violent delivery. So. Yeah, I don't know how Wolf could do that over like six innings. Like maybe he can because some people can, but I don't know how he would be able to do that right now. Well, he hasn't really done that as a professional. I so know, yeah. Exactly. We'll see. All right, next guy they selected was in the immediate next round, the 25th round, uh, 448th overall, and that is Joseph Charles, who is a right-handed pitcher. And I remember I felt very stupid because during our podcast last year during the draft, I kept calling him Charles Joseph. <laughs> but he went to uh, UNC, and he was a... Uh, He's not a Barco, um, but he was a pretty solid high school pitcher. I mean, he had a very good fastball. Um, there were problems, but, you know, the stuff when it was all working, you could see a, a mid-rotation kind of starting pitcher. Maybe, you know, kind of guy that could develop into a, you know, a two or, or something like that. Like mid rotation with kind of on the, on the best side of that scale. Um, given the way that the draft worked, it worked out really wasn't much of a chance that the Mets would have been able to go over slot to sign him, but would have been nice. But again, I would I would take the the Allen Wolf uh I almost called him Batty, uh Beatty trio over most of these dudes just because of their ceilings. Yeah, I mean the, the you can't really complain with the way that the draft worked out. So all of these guys, if you like them, you would have wished that the Mets did sign them from last year's draft. Well, you know, it just wasn't really doable and you know, what the, the reality of what happened, you know, is still very, very good. So, uh, next up is an outfielder, Daniel Maldonado. He was drafted in the 35th round, um, and which was 1048th overall. And he eventually went to Florida Southwestern State College. And he is from Puerto Rico. He is a Graduate of the Carlos Beltran Baseball Academy. And that would have been kind of awkward given everything that happened with Carlos Beltran this, this past offseason. But yeah, he's a guy that, you know, same thing, maybe not star power, but if everything works out with him, you know, he could, he could develop into a, a pretty good player. Good, good power. Um, you know, he's kind of good outfielder, um, a lot of speed, very athletic. So he could one day wind up something good. But he'll be eligible in draft, you know, in a few years again. So maybe the, dra- the, the Mets are able to <laughs> draft him. They do like doing that. Yeah, they, they do. Like- and, hey, if they identify a guy they like and, you know, he doesn't – deviate much from the course that, you know, they saw him on going in, you know, when, when he was a high schooler. Why not? Oh, yeah. As, as long as it's not a Carlos Cortez, you know, then nothing wrong 
with going back to the well again. All right, next up, we have Dylan Lawson, who was a right-handed pitcher that was selected in the 37th round, which is 1,108th overall. And he went to Tallahassee Community College. And all of the best pitchers go to Tallahassee Community College, obviously. But he is kind of one of those um, low-key high school pitchers. You know, the fastball just kind of sits in the high 80s. Occasionally, it scrapes over at 90. And then, you know, a developing breaking ball and a changeup that is pretty rough. You know, you could take that profile and fit billion names. So I'm not really... The type Losing of guy sleep. who probably should go to college. Yeah. 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 And last up. Oh, excuse me. Sorry. No, I was going to say better for his career. Yes, to, definitely. To figure it out there and then get drafted again. If that's in the cards. Last up was the guy that was selected in the 40th round. So that was completely last round, <laughs> which was 1,198th overall. And that is Camden Loverich. And he went to uh, Jackson State University instead of signing with the Mets. And, you know, same thing as Lawson. He's a guy that you can copy and paste the same exact report. Sits in the high 80s, you know, has a rough breaking ball and developing third pitch. He not does much, have at uh, least a 70-grade name, though. Yes, I was going to say, I do like his name, if nothing nothing else, that it sounds pretty... Makes me think of, like, the uh, Dracula mythos, for some <laughs> reason. It makes me think of a certain meme about our good friend Rich Staff. <laughs> <laughs> if only it was Camden Follow Rich. <laughs> That's his player weekend name in 20 whatever. <laughs> Follow Rich. Can <laughs> then follow Rich. Speaking of which, everyone should follow Rich Staff on Twitter. All right. Well, I think that the 2019 draft there, um, you know, some talents I would have liked to have seen, but like we said, you can't really argue with the way that the draft did go down. And the Mets were able to sign kind of surprise, um, not really surprise, but unexpectedly when they were able to sign Blaine McIntosh. So I was surprised. Yeah, I didn't think he, when they when they drafted him and had the Vanderbilt commit and already had the Allen plan in place, I was like, oh, never mind. Especially when they pulled off the Allen signing, because mm-hmm. I think McIntosh was kind of late, right? Like he signed. Later than all of them. Yes, I think he might have been one of the last, if not the last signing that the Mets uh, announced. Yeah, before. once all that went down, I thought they had no chance because I thought they were going to have to throw money at him. Yeah, which is, you know, well, I mean, we'll, we'll still talk about that, I guess, until the day that, that McIntosh proves that he is nothing good and, and doesn't make it. But until that happens, it will still be a very pleasant surprise. Yeah. This draft so. could have like really long-standing, uh, yeah, reverberations on the organization. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, so I don't think it's a stretch to say that, like, it's high risk, high reward, and where that falls. <laughs> yeah. We'll probably oh, yeah, go is. a long way towards just, you know, discerning what the, the system will look like as a whole, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, at least they weren't drafting, you know, college relievers in the first round, so. Yep. Always oh, plus. Yeah. This is way more exciting. <laughs> All right, well, do you guys have any last words? Most of these guys would be too good in the Mets system, and that just goes to show what type of system we have. <laughs> and we're going to talk about Yeah, that, uh, that 2017 draft class that alone, I feel like half of them would be in the top 10 <laughs> just based yes. on how the system is. So, Which is like... That's that's wild. It's it's always it uh get to get reminded of that. It's always a little. It's always interesting. Not what you want to see. No. All right. Well, if anyone has any questions or comments, you can send us an email at our email address from complex to queens at gmail dot com. You can follow us on Twitter and shoot us questions there. I'm at Steve Seipa. Ken is at Ken Levin ninety one. And Thomas is at said Met Season SCN. Subscribe to the podcast, wherever you get your podcast from, rate and review it. And of course, thank you for listening. And we'll be back next week. So until then, love the Mets. Love the Mets. <laughs>